Hey, good morning. I'm sorry about all this fuss to keep cool, but hasn't it been a hot week? You know, David and I lived in Gibraltar, but the heat is not the same as when it got, gets hot here. You know that, don't you? It's incredibly humid. And during the week, I felt giddy a few times, and I could feel myself over there going giddy. And it was either, James, you're on to speak, or fans and doors open. No one cold, are they? I was going to say hard cheese if you are. You'll have to... <laughs> You'll have to move to a back corner. I can't pass out. The stool is here in case I... Thank you for worship. There you are, Paul. Thank you for worship. I'm going to mention that last song probably a bit later on if I have time. I absolutely love it. I've told Jared I want it at my funeral. I'm not planning to go yet, but that song so excites me. It it seemed to me it came in this year, and this year I'm I'm 75. And you know, I've spent a lifetime with God. I'll mention that in a minute. And it so excites me. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, and he has. He has been a faithful God. And for those of us who have walked with him a long time, it's not theory. It's not somebody else's idea. This is who God is, a faithful God. Yes, he brings us, as you said, Paul, through some dark valleys. But what does it say in Psalm 23? Though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Give me strength. I'm totally off my notes and I've not even started. Can I have my verse up, please? Will you turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 4, please? We're going to go on in a similar vein. And it says this. My son, and I'm speaking to you this morning as a mother. Now listen, I don't presume to be anyone's spiritual mother. But if I feel like a spiritual mother anywhere... It is here. You know, David and I have been here 31 years. For some of you, I knew you when you were teenagers, and now you have teenage children. For some of you, you were born while we were here, and David dedicated you, and we baptized you in water. And I cannot help in my heart feeling like a mother towards many of you. And and my mother heart wants the best for you. I want you to know God. I want you to finish the course. Are you with me? So this morning I'm speaking as it were in my head to my spiritual family. I don't ask you to look on me that way, but it's how I look on you. Are you with me? My son, pay attention to what I say. I was always telling Jared that. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, if you break that down, it is a massive sentence. Above all else. In other words... This is of paramount importance. What? That we guard our hearts for everything we do 
flows from it. Now we guard, don't we, that which is precious. We are vigilant with the things that are precious or priceless or important in our lives. We don't guard junk. We guard stuff that is important to us. But sometimes, unfortunately, we don't realize how important something is until we lose it or are about to lose it. You know, it's like our health. When we are young, we are careless with our health. It's only when we get older, we realize that if our health goes, our quality of life goes. The, the enjoyment of life is depreciated. And here in this verse, it says, guard your heart. Now our heart is the pump that pumps the blood round our body, but it's more than that. Listen to what the Passion Bible says it is. It says it's our deepest thoughts, our inner feelings, our will, our discernment and our affection. And we're advised to guard these things because everything we do will flow from them. Now, I love the book of Proverbs. It's because I so often speak on lifestyle. Do you know why I speak on lifestyle? It's partly because God compels me. The Holy Spirit lays it on my heart. But also because I believe the word of God is not just for our spiritual life. For me, it's not here is my spiritual life, my prayer life, my worship, and here is my natural life, my marriage, my children, my interaction with my neighbours. I believe the word of God is there to spill over and to affect every area of our lives. Anybody? I need the word of God to be relevant in my life. And so you can guess from that, I am going to speak on lifestyle, but hopefully it is also spiritual. I'm not trying to say to you, try harder, work harder. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. And it's Paul praying for the Ephesians. And he says this, I pray that you may know that incomparably great power for us who believe. If you're a believer this morning as I am, there's an incomparably great power available to you and me. And have we tapped into it even a fraction? I want to suggest that we haven't. And this morning I want to encourage us, tap into that incomparably great power. Don't just bring it down into your prayer life, into your worship, but bring it down into your marriage, your children, your workplace, your neighbourhood. It also says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, His divine power, and that's that incomparably great power, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so all we are saying is, let's tap into that power this morning and bring it down into our everyday lives. Six years ago, David and I retired 
from the senior, well, we, we were at that time helping Jared, but we retired from ministry in this church. And you know, there is a level of pride in me about that. I don't mean arrogant pride. I mean satisfaction that we made it because I didn't always think we would. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to throw in the towel, but you know, we made it. And Paul says in Acts 20, 24, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. And I praise God that we finish that task. We haven't finished our life, there's more to do, but that task was finished and completed. Why? Because of his incomparably great power. Because he was there for us. Because he was there in the dark valleys, in the difficult times. But more than that, this year, I've been a born again, spirit-filled Christian for 61, I nearly said 41, for 61 years. And you know, I never thought, when I was 14 years old and first came to Jesus, I didn't think I would make it. I'd seen older people backslide and grow cold. But do you know my prayer, I used to weep before him. God keep me, never let me go. And here is my testimony. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. But as I told you, if I feel like a spiritual mother anywhere, it's here. And this is my heart's desire for you, that you will finish the course, that you will finish the task, that you will complete the race. You know, we are a family. And you know, when you give me good news about your family, I rejoice with you. Anybody? When you tell me your kids have got their degree, I rejoice with you. When you tell me you've got a better job with more money, I rejoice with you. But when you have pain or failure of some, some sort, it is my pain. We are a family here. Anybody? Our pain is each other's pain. Our children, I know they are your children, but they are our children. We are a family. And I want to speak to you as if we are a family together and think about the areas that we can download that incomparable great power into our lives. When David Taylor spoke a couple of weeks ago, he said this, he said one or two things that I loved. But he says this, it doesn't matter where you start, it's where you finish that counts. And you know, you may have started in a difficult place, but it doesn't matter where you start, it's where you finish that counts. But you know, I told you I came to Jesus age 14, and I'll mention this again in a while, and I came with a passion, but here is my challenge. I came to Jesus with a passion, it doesn't matter where I start. I need to end in passion. Do you follow me? Because who knows that life saps our spiritual energy. Life hits every one of us. And we need to keep our eye on the race and finish strongly in Jesus. Because that power is there to help us finish the race in power and in blessing. Amen? And the first area... The fan, it's lovely and cool, but it's blowing everything all over the place. Um, the first area 
I want to mention is our family. I've turned two pages, I think. Yes, our family. The society that we live in doesn't honor marriage. Could you just spin the, just, yes, I'll spin it slightly. Let the congregation be cool. Thank you. The society that we live in doesn't honor marriage and family, but we, as we so often hear, are the alternative society. It's important that we guard, we're talking about guarding, that we guard our families. For you who were around in the millennial year, were many around in the year, what was it be? 2000. You know, we, to say that we honored marriage, many of us renewed our marriage vows altogether in a service. David and I renewed our marriage vows. Not everyone did it. We didn't coerce anyone. But many of us renewed our vows. Why? Because we wanted to find a way to say marriage is important. This world no longer thinks it's important. Living together is enough. Splitting up whenever it suits you is enough. But we wanted to say marriage is important. And afterwards we had a, uh, a lunch together and invited everyone to come and celebrate our marriages. So let's just briefly look at marriage. Why are there so many divorces in the West? I'm going to tell you why because marriage is darned difficult. Marriage is very, very difficult. It takes work and it takes commitment. And you know, I'm going to be vulnerable and real with you this morning because that's who I am. But I want you to be real and vulnerable with me, okay? Don't want any of you sitting there self-righteously saying, well, we've never had a row in our entire marriages. Even after 55 years of marriage, David and I still have to work at it and give it time, attention, and effort. On our 55th wedding anniversary, we were in Spain and I text my older son, Jason. Now, I do all the texting in our family. David may email, but I do all the texting. And I text Jason and I said, we have been married for 55 years today exclamation. I need a medal. <laughs> Double exclamation. Yes, but listen to what he texts back. Dad, is that you? <laughs> In other words, his dad needed a medal for putting up with me all these years. David and I like a nice garden, but when we go to the garden centre, First of all, we want a plant for 50p. <laughs> and then we want it to say on the label, thrives on neglect. <laughs> if you've got to mulch it, wrap it in cellophane in the winter or anything else, it's had it. It, it needs to thrive on a cup of water chucked over it once in a while. But listen, that is not the way to work at your marriage. Marriages take time attention and effort. Even if we are 100% sure our marriages were planned by God, it will still take effort. You cannot lay back and think it's all going to work out 
for you. We need to give it time, attention and effort, even at our age. And you would have thought by now that we'd rubbed off all the rough edges, wouldn't you? But no, you still have to work at it. And there are times in our marriage that the grass on the other side of the fence may seem greener. And I'm going to tell you what to do when that happens. Do you know what to do? Water your own lawn. Something will always come along to tempt your eyes. And the thing to do then is to turn your attention back to your own lawn. Feed it, weed it, water it. And to talk together and say, what is spoiling? What is uh, putting cold water on our marriage? And to work at our marriages. And at different times in our life, there are different pressures. Anyone? When you're young and first married, you're getting to know each other. And then children come along. And who knows that chaos? And then they become teenagers. And who knows that chaos? But then the years roll on until we're older people. And now we have to find another way to be companionable, companionable, to bless each other, to encourage each other, to enjoy each other. David and I love traveling. We love doing road trips. He would tell you we are at our happiest and our brightest when we're out on the road. And so we need to find things that knit us together, where we can enjoy each other still. A woman came to me once and she was in a difficult second marriage, an older marriage, and she was a counsellor and I have never set myself up as a counsellor, although I've done counselling courses, it's not where my heart is. And in fact, she did marriage counselling and she came to me with a marriage problem. And I had to say to her, her name isn't Maria, but I'm going to call her Maria. Maria, I don't think there's anything I can tell you that you don't know. All I can think to say is every morning at breakfast, take each other's hand and pray for your marriage for that day. Every day bring your marriage before God. A few months rolled by and she came and saw me and she'd said, I cannot believe the difference that has made in our marriage. You see, some of our problems, to solve them is not rocket science. It's just taking that incomparably great power and bringing it down into our marriages. You see, marriage is God's idea. And because it's God's idea, what I do is say, God, this is your idea. I ask you to come into my marriage and help me with the current problem. Are you with me? God puts us together as a working, loving unit. Listen to what Mother Teresa says. She says, we don't have to be extraordinary in any way. I can do what you can't do, and you can do what I can't do, and together we can do great things. Now that's true of the church that you have strengths I don't have and vice versa. But it is definitely true of marriage. For David and I, it is very pronounced that where he is strong, I am weak. And where I am strong, he is weak. Anybody else? That God, it's as if he puts us together to make one strong unit. Strong marriages 
are vital. Do you know, I just want us to pray for our marriages right now. I want us just to pray that God will bless every one of our marriages, whether they're three months old or 60 years old. Let's just ask God to touch our marriages this morning. Just close your eyes. And if you're with your husband and you are willing to do this, just hold hands. Lord, we just pray this morning that you will bless our marriages. Wherever they are today, I pray, Lord, that they will become richer and richer and together we will grow closer to you. I'm gonna get poetic now, but I truly mean this. Jesus, I pray that you will be the glue that holds us together, that three-strand cord that's not easily broken. I pray, Lord, that in our marriages you will be the oil that brings us peace. I pray, Lord, that you will bring, be the honey that brings sweetness and gentleness and kindness into our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be the wine that brings passion and joy into our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. And then rushing on, our children. So many of you are talking to me recently about your children. And uh, we need to guard our children, especially in the day and age in which we live. Psalm 127 says this, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. The Passion Bible says that they are God's love gift to us. I was in Oldie the other day and a two-year-old was having a tantrum and it went on and on. The whole time we were shopping, this child was screaming. I expect if I told his mother, ah, He's God's love gift to you. <laughs> she might have punched me on the nose. And you know, our children don't always seem that. It's not always obvious. But our children are so precious. And in the blink of an eye, they will be adults. In Exodus 2, when Pharaoh's daughter took Moses out of the bulrushes and she gave him back to his own mother, not knowing it was his own mother. And she said this, to the woman, take this child and raise it for me and I will pay you. And you know, I believe when God puts a baby into your family, he says this to you, take this child and raise it for me and I will reward you, I will pay you. We need to remember while we are raising our children that they aren't ours, they are his. And we're raising him, them, for him. In fact, I would say, take parenthood seriously. It is more important than ministry. And in fact, I would say it is a ministry to raise your children for Jesus. And there are four things that I really quickly want to bring to you for when we are raising our children. Firstly, that we are a consistent example to our children. It's not do as I say, but do as I do. You know, even a two-year-old sees through hypocrisy. You know that, don't you? When you tell them not to do it, they will say, but you do it, Daddy, or you do it, Mummy. We need to be a consistent example. It says in Deuteronomy 6, talk about the things of God. Impress them on your children. When you sit at home, 
when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, all the time, weave Jesus into your children's lives so that they know he is an intrinsic part of who we are as a family. When Jason was five, I remember he said to David's mother, and she came and told me, he said to her, Nana, you and granddad love Jesus like you do, don't we? And of course, they did. Now, my parents weren't practicing Christians, and he sensed the difference. He loved my parents, but he sensed the difference that we were disciples and lovers of Jesus. Yes, have a devotional time, but then we can't walk away from that and forget that we belong to Jesus. Weave it through your day. Secondly, ask God for wisdom. It says in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously. Listen, never in all my life have I laid down before God and cried to him for wisdom like when I was raising children. Because one child doesn't react the same as another. Sandra, who's got four children, I have two. And raising them was completely a different thing. And so for each child, we need the wisdom of God. But if we ask for wisdom, we need to respond to what God says. On one Sunday morning, I remember after one of the children had kept putting on what I considered an inappropriate outfit, just because it was scruffy, it was humiliating me. And I wanted to say to him, you're not going to church in that outfit. And I sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, zip it. Does God ever have to say to you, zip it, zip it, be quiet. So I zipped it. And it was only afterwards that I heard the Holy Spirit say, you say you're not going to church in that outfit. The next words out of his mouth will be, then I'm not going to church and a battle will begin. We never had a battle with our children about going to church. Who knows if I had said those words, what might have happened. If we want our children uh, um, to come to church or if we want God to help us with our children, we need to listen to what he says. And even though it's uh, opposite to what we feel, obey that wisdom. Discipline our children. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. I'm rushing on a bit because of time. You know, our generation didn't know that the sun was dangerous. You do know that, don't you? And a few years ago, I had a skin cancer scare. It proved to be nothing. But I was talking to Jared because we'd lived on the Mediterranean and I had let the children burn because that's what the Gibraltarians did. And I'm just saying to him, Jared, if ever you have a problem with your skin, I am so sorry. It wasn't carelessness. We just didn't know. We used things like sun factor two or four. And then, and he, he just brushed it off. That's fine, mum, I know. But then I said a sentence he did not like. I said to him, anyway, you boys never wanted sun cream on. And he went, just a minute, mum. I'm with everything you've just said, but you were the type of mum that if you said we were having sun cream on, we were having sun cream on. 
and we had a laugh about it. But you know, when we're bringing our children up, even when you've completed the task like I have, you don't know if you're getting it right. Not one of us knows if we're getting it right. And you know, I had to give myself a tiny pat on the back. It's important our children know. If we say no, we mean no. And if we say yes, we mean yes. Now don't exasperate your children with loads of rules, but some rules like sun cream today are for their protection. Discipline our children. You know, a naughty two-year-old can be very funny. I've gone into the kitchen many a time to have a laugh about it. A badly behaved 15-year-old is embarrassing, frightening, and dangerous. But you don't start when they're 15. You start when they're two. Discipline our children. And finally, in prayer, be determined. Now, of course, all my children's lives, I have prayed for them. But we hit a crisis in their teens and I don't have time to tell the story. Um, I, I never thought I'd do this, but if you're interested, it's in my book. But <laughs> I, I never thought I'd say that. The, the full story is in the book. But we hit a crisis, not a crisis of behavior, but a crisis when I thought I might be losing my children from God. And at that point, I became determined the enemy would not have my children. There was no other outcome. I would not tolerate any other answer than that they came to Jesus and were in heaven with me. And you know, it took us, it took about four years. It took us moving back to Britain and leaving a ministry that we had loved and causing heartache there. But God held on to my children. And you know, pray yes, but be determined in prayer. When they became young men, I would pray as they went out the door that God would protect them and keep them from evil and not let them do anything that would spoil their lives. Are you with me? And while I've been preparing this, I came upon Jeremiah 31. Of course I knew it, but I want to speak this promise over you and your children, especially if they're away from God. As I say, so many people recently have been talking to me about their children, and this is the promise. And in a minute, just for 30 seconds, we're going to pray for those children. Jeremiah 31, 16 and 17. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your descendant, declares the Lord. I've told so many of you recently, the seed that you have sown will bear fruit. And I want us just for 30 seconds, I want you to think of your children or your grandchildren. And I want us to call them back from the land of the enemy. And it doesn't matter if they're respectable, hardworking, loving, but are away from God. It doesn't matter if they're alcoholics and drug addicts or they're in prison or they're promiscuous. God says, uh, they will return from the land of the enemy. 
wherever the enemy has taken them. Remember the prodigal son. He'd been with harlots and prostitutes. He'd spent all his father's money. He was living with the pigs and eating pig food. God can bring your children back from the land of the enemy. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for our children this morning and everything they are to us, whether they're three months, 13 or 30. Father, we pray for your wisdom to come into our lives so that we might raise them for you. But Father, this morning, we stand on this promise. We call our children away from you right now, back from the land of the enemy. Father, we call them back to you in Jesus' name. If we have said and done everything we can do, we pray that they will come across Christians who will be able to bring them back into your land in Jesus' name. Enemy, you will not have our children. Our children belong to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm in a quandary because I have two more points. Let me think. I'm going to do the next one and see what we do with the last one. The next one is that we guard our integrity. Our our integrity, our reputation. But before I go to it, I want to tell you why I so often want to speak on these lines. I feel in Ezekiel 33, it talks about the watchman on the wall. And they stand on the city walls and they watch out, particularly for the enemy. And the Bible says that if the watchman sees an enemy and doesn't sound the trumpet call to say danger, God will hold them responsible. Now, if the watchman sounds the trumpet and the people in the city ignore it, God holds the people responsible. Are you with me? And I feel to an extent, I'm not the watchman on the wall, but I am one of the watchmen on the wall. And especially as I've grown older, and especially as the world in which we live has moved further and further away from God, even the laws of our land are often in disagreement with the Bible. Are you with me? that more and more I feel, not all the time, just from time to time, I need to sound a trumpet to say, this is not what God's word says. This isn't how to live. Are you with me? So forgive me, but I feel, I have, I feel the urge of God to warn you. It's like marriage. What does our world say? And I want to warn you, marriage is God's idea. Children, children are precious. You know, we are harming our children by what we are teaching them. Let me get back on my notes. Guard your integrity. Let him who thinks he stands beware, lest he fall. Ephesians 6 verse 11. Be aware of the devil's schemes. Be aware that as Christians, we become the devil's target. Because if he can cause us to stumble, he causes others to stumble because of our example. Are you with me? And you know, I often use Joseph as an example of not yielding to temptation. And I can't tell the whole story except to say this. In the face of constant temptation, what did Joseph do? 
the Bible says, and it makes me smile, he lifted up his skirts and ran. There is a time to face the enemy and say, in Jesus' name, I resist you, enemy. But when that temptation keeps hitting, there is a time to lift up our skirts and run away from that temptation. You know, we need to protect ourselves. I protect David. He protects me. We should be protecting each other. When we see each other um, doing something dangerous, you know, we need to give each other permission to say, just be careful there. Just, just watch that. I'm a little bit worried about you. We, we don't wag the finger. We say it in a way of, I love you. Let's just watch each other, especially in this day of so many accusations. It seems to me that every week on the TV, there are fresh accusations, either being quashed or being proved. We need to protect ourselves to guard our integrity and our reputation. But more than that, more than protecting ourselves, I believe we have to preach it in the churches. I believe as teachers, it's our responsibility, especially to the children and to the youth, especially because of the climate we live in. Do you know that the world is brainwashing our children that certain things are not only acceptable, but are good, that are a good choice? And we have to make sure that we brainwash our children the other day and say, this is what God's word says. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's not easy. Matt and Emily, are they here today? Do you know, I wanted to say to them, Matt, you are a watchman on the wall for the youth to tell the youth what the word of God says. Emily, she is a watchman on the wall for our children, teaching our children out there what the word of God says. And we parents reinforcing it or perhaps the other way round. And you know, it says here, guard your heart. And you know why? Because our heart sometimes lies to us. You cannot trust your heart. Jeremiah 17, nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Do you know when you lack integrity, do you know your heart will make an excuse for you? It's all right. Everyone does it. It is of God. You'll be amazed the excuses that David and I have heard. That adultery, why is it wrong if it feels so right? God brought them into my path. We excuse our hearts. Let's take David. David was a man after God's own heart, not my David, King David. He'd be dead now if he'd done what King David did. Or worse, which I cannot say in front of children. When King David saw Bathsheba, what lie did his heart tell him that it was all right to take another man's wife and sleep with her. You know, we cannot, we cannot go by our heart. We cannot go by our feelings. There is one thing that we can measure things by, and this is the word 
of God. This is why we have to preach it and teach it. And this is why we have to bring it up to date and say these things are wrong. You know, when Gerald Coates was here, some of us were squirming about the constant talk of pornography. But do you know, we need it. We need to be told it is wrong because it is amazing what your heart can tell you. Oh, it's all right. I'm not harming anybody. It's on the internet anyway. We need to guard our hearts. The word of God is our plumb line. I'm going to leave the prayer to the end. Let me go on and I'm just going to briefly do the last point, which is guard your passion. And I want to read this. I want to do this one because in a way it's the most important. So I may touch on it again. When I first came to Jesus, I came with a passion. Age 14, there was nothing wishy-washy about my salvation. I'd actually made a decision for Jesus aged 11, but my life didn't change, so I don't count it. I count from 14 when I asked the Holy Spirit to come into my life and fill me, and there was a radical change in my life. I went home and told my unsafe parents, I'm a Christian. I went to school the next day and told my school friends, I'm a born again Christian. But do you remember, I started with passion. But what did I say right at the beginning? It doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish that counts. So now it's my responsibility to make sure I didn't just start with passion, but I end with passion. But you know, as we said earlier, life sometimes knocks the passion out of us. And I'm going to briefly talk about how to keep passion. But as I was preparing this word, this is what I read. I'm reading through the Passion Bible, the, the Passion version of the Bible. And this is what I read. And the heading is, and I only read this two nights ago. The heading is, guard your hearts. And this is Jesus speaking. Be careful that you never allow your hearts to grow cold. Remain passionate and free from anxiety and the worries of this life. Then you will not be caught off guard by what happens. He's talking about his second coming. Don't let me come and find you drunk or careless in living like everyone else. Be passionate and living right when Jesus comes again. Do you know in my youth, one of the things that kept us passionate was this. The elders used to tell us, Jesus could come again. And God forbid that we should be found in sin, or in this case, the cinema, or the theater, or the sports club, Jesus was coming again. Now we've become so sophisticated today, that we think, well, Jesus won't come for a while. Listen, l plan as if Jesus is not coming again, but live as if he is coming this afternoon. You haven't even had Sunday lunch and Jesus is coming again. Would he find us passionate and on fire for him? I want to challenge some of us. If we've come to Jesus and it's been like we've joined the golf club or, or the gym, you know, coming to Jesus isn't joining a club. It's a lifestyle. 
It affects everything I am. It affects what I believe. It affects what I say. It affects my opinions. Coming to Jesus with a passion is so important. And if we feel, because God often challenges me on this, you have left your first love. And I have to stir up my heart and find what is damping down the fires. Two ways to keep that fire going, and I'm going to finish. One, no, and think of a natural fire. No fire, no matter how good it is, will carry on burning forever unless you add fuel to the fire. Anybody? You have to keep adding coal and wood or whatever to keep it on fire. And that's what we have to do with our Christian lives. We have to keep adding fuel to the passion. Your testimonies add fuel to my fire. When we share what God has done in our lives, we are putting coal on each other's fire. Anybody? You know, when we come to church and we hear the word of God, David and I often sit over there with tears in our eyes at what we are hearing from our young leaders. Hearing the word of God sets my heart on fire. Worship sets my heart on fire. I'm so glad that Paul played that last song. All my life, you have been faithful. I want to stand on a chair and wave my hands around and say, God, you have. It is the truth. Believe it. And when I see lukewarm people, I want to say, get a hold of Jesus. He's absolutely wonderful. If you want a successful life, get a hold of him. Bring that incomparably great power down into your life. And you know, I love church. Do you know why David and I live here and not Spain? Well, first of all, it's ja it, no, it's not Jared, it's Zachary. It is Jared and Jason and Vicky, but it's Zachary and the church. Do you know, good churches aren't 10 a penny. And I know what Paul means when he says he doesn't like church. I don't like formal, ritualistic church. But when church is behaving as it should be, it is a place of blessing. It is a place of fire. It is a place of answers to prayer. When I come in here, I come with expectation. And I'm not looking to the speaker or the worship leader. I'm looking to God. Now, I know I can access God at home. Of course I can. Minute by minute, second by second. But who knows if you take a glowing coal off that fire and put it in the hearth, it doesn't glow for long. This is the place of fire and passion and answers and rhema words and God speaking into our lives. Church sets my heart on fire. And secondly, because I'm having to rush on, if a fire has no air, it will die. What do we do when the barb is not going? We get a piece of cardboard, don't we? And we, we, we waft it, we put air through it, or we blow on it. Or that you can have, we used to have when we all had fires, a little set of bellows that you would blow through the fire. In a fireplace, you'll have a little door at the bottom, which you can open, and a little vent at the top that you can open. Why? To let air blow through it. And what is the air that we need to keep us passionate for Jesus? 
It's the Holy Spirit. You know what set me on fire for God? The Holy Spirit. It wasn't a head decision. It was when the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And you know, if we want to stay on fire for God, we need that Holy Spirit to continuously blow through our lives. I'm gonna challenge you this morning. Get your hand, open that door at the bottom. Pull down that lever from the top. Let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow through our lives and set us on fire for God. I have come, I'm I'm going to end now because I'm just running out of time. I may have to speak about passion again. But you know, I have come to the conclusion very late in life that all I have is Jesus. I don't have anything else. When people come to me for advice or counsel or prayer, I only have Jesus. I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a social worker, I'm not a drug. All I have is Jesus. And so can you understand when I say I have to have him in abundance? If you're in need, I can't give you a teaspoonful of Jesus because that's all I can spare. We need Jesus in abundance in our lives. And we're going to stand up and pray now. And will you play that last song for me again? Please, Paul. Psalm 69 verse 9 says this. My love for you has my heart on fire. My passion consumes me for your house. 